Welcome back to Equitable Banks, More Bank for Your Buck podcast. Uh, today, it's Mortgage um, Lending 101, the Sherry O Show. Sherry, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Phil. I've had the privilege, Errol, of working alongside Sherry, not on a home mortgage sense, but her office is right across the hall from mine, so I always have that privilege of being able to walk into Sherry's office, ask her questions, and she just has this wealth of home mortgage knowledge because you and I are commercial lenders. Right. We understand commercial real estate, commercial real estate lending. They have an entirely different, different set of beast. rules. It's it a, it's a yeah. whole different world. And I'm so happy to have Sherry here because home mortgages are something that right now are on the top of everybody's mind. You know, we, yeah. we had COVID, we had the big refi wave rates were historically low. People were buying homes, moving, upgrading homes, whatever it was. And now rates have changed. Before we get into that, Sherry, could you give us a little bit of your background, sure. how you got to Equitable Bank, and then we'll we'll start talking mortgages. Sure. Well, I started my lending career right here in Grand Island. Didn't make it far, still here. Back in the, we'll call it the late 80s. Okay. You two were probably toddlers mm-hmm. running around. Um, and I was at a savings alone here in Grand Island, and roughly in 1992, they gave me the opportunity to do home lending. So, and I fell in love with it immediately. I just knew that was what I wanted to do. So I kind of started in the home lending business then back in 92. 1994, then I had the opportunity to start a new upstart bank here in Grand Island, United Nebraska Bank. And um, I just thought that sounded like the greatest opportunity. Um, We started with no customers, no deposit customers, no loan customers, and... um, we had to grow that bank from the ground up. You thought that sounded like a good idea at the I time? Did. Okay, just I making sure for you. Uh, glutton for punishment, I guess. We literally started in a mobile home while the bank was being built. So, and there was a small group of us, and um, I went on, I, I jumped on board, and we had to do whatever it took. Some days I was out in the drive-thru helping with customers. Other days I was making home loans. So, so you started out as a mortgage lender there, but like you said, small team. Right. And everybody just kind of chipped in and did whatever they could to start growing this bank. And I believe this was United Nebraska Bank at the time? It was. It was. Correct. And so that was, let's see, 1994. And um, we got the building built. We moved in. We had a great team of people. And we just had to hit the streets and tell our story. That's um, how we kind of grew that bank. And um, we were very successful at it. And I um, think we were so successful that eventually the owner sold. (laughs) That flash forward, I think that was about 2005. And um, the bank sold to another another bank. And a lot of that original group kind of broke off, went and did their own thing, went to other banks. I stayed on for about three years. And one day I got a call from Tom Godowski, who's done another podcast with you guys, our our boss here. And uh, I believe Dave Richardson, too. And they said, why don't you come over, talk to us. We'd like to, you know, kind of grow our mortgage department, learn a little more about the secondary market. And um, I thought that sounded like a great opportunity. It was time for me to do something new. I had been there for about 15 years. And so that was in 2009. And mm-hmm. I've, I've been here ever since. I've been with Equitable ever since. So 13 years with Equitable Bank. 13. Dave and Tom recruited you over. They did. And uh, Sherry, Sherry's our senior vice president and head of our mortgage department. Sherry, right now, I mean, it, it seems like we talk about mortgages all the time because there's so much change happening. And I think what's different this time is it's happening really quickly. I remember walking into your office probably about a year ago when the 10-year is below 1%. Mm-hmm. 
And I think right. at the time, home mortgage rates were, let's just call it 3% for a 30-year mm-hmm. purchase. Roughly. Maybe even a refi, you get 3%. And not to put you on the spot, but in rough general terms, are, are we north of 6% today? We are. Uh, right at 6% or slightly above. So um, I was driving home from work about two weeks ago, I want to say, and I heard a little blurb on the radio that the rates had climbed, mortgage rates had climbed the quickest since 1987 that past week. Mm. And I thought, did I hear that right? And I went home and Googled it, and I heard it right. That was the steepest climb since 1987, before even I was in mortgage lending. So, um, so it felt it felt strange, you know, when you and I were talking as they were climbing. It's like I, I've never seen anything like this before, and in fact, I hadn't ever seen anything like it before. So, we are north of six percent on a fixed rate. Talk a little bit about how does that change, whether it's a first-time home buyer, maybe it's someone wanting to upgrade. Because one thing that we talked about in the past is, are people going to be house locked? I mean, what, what's this do to the ability to purchase, the ability to refinance? Hopefully, people had the opportunity to refinance here in the past year with these ultra low rates. But talk a little bit about maybe it's a, a family with their first purchase, this climb from three to for round numbers, let's call it 6%. What's that do to a budget? Yeah. You know, I, I was just running some numbers last week. And uh, on a $300,000 house, 10% down, it increases the payment to go from, well, I even used three and a half, three and a half to six percent, about $300 a month. And so, you know, that's that's a week of daycare, maybe more. You guys probably know more than I, but, you know, week, week and a half of daycare right there, that now your payment is $300 more on your house, the same house. And we all know what else has happened in this last year, inflation, and the prices right. of houses have climbed. So in that same time frame that rates have climbed, the prices of houses climbed as well. So you may not be able to get that same $300,000 house that you were approved for at three and a half. Maybe that house is now 350 and the rate is 6%. So it does price some people out of the market or out of the home that they wanted. So. Hmm. And that makes it kind of an interesting time for you as a mortgage lender. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, real estate brokers and real estate agents out there kind of wringing their hands wondering, what's this going to do to home sales pace? You know, what, what, how are we going to navigate this new environment? And I've thought a lot about this. And to me, it's to your, your most recent point, it, it's not so much that 6% is this big, scary number. Because historically speaking, right. if we look back, there have been periods, you know, we had Jim and, and Tom both on when they talked about their first home loan at 12 or 14 percent, and they thought they just stole it. That, right. that was just a heck mm-hmm. of a deal. So when you think about 6 percent for 30 years fixed in an environment where I think last year home prices appreciated 20 percent, you know, and every market's going to be different, but let's just call it 20 percent. And the year before that, I think it was 13. So if you're paying 6 percent on a home that goes up in value 20 percent, it, it's not as painful. So I think my, my silver lining to 6% is that it's not the end of the world. It's just how quickly we went from three to six that I think is scaring a lot of people. Are, are you having those conversations with your customers right now? We are. And um, my personal story is my first mortgage was 7% adjustable. Mm. And so, and we were, we were happy as could be with that. 7% adjustable. Wow. And I think that was about 1988. So was that adjustable yearly or how often did that adjust? That was annual. Annual adjustment. Okay. Once a year. Do you remember how 
how it, it adjusted? How high did it up. never went so up? I, okay. And again, I was thinking back, I meant to look at the records, but I think it was about 1988. And um, again, we were happy. The owner had refinanced into an FHA product. So we were able to assume his rate. Otherwise, we never, in 1988, we would have never gotten a rate that low, right. 7%. So it kind of puts it into perspective um, that it, we're not at all-time highs, nowhere close. Um, I think all-time highs, like you guys heard, was around 18% on a mortgage at one time. Um, but what we've done at Equitable, our management team put our heads together and we said, we, we need to find a way to kind of um, bridge this gap between now and when the, the long-term rates come down again. And so we've come out with a 10-1 arm, fixing the rate for 10 years. And our thinking is that hopefully we'll have some lower rates sometime in the next 10 years and we'll be able to refinance those customers or not a lot of us keep our homes for 10 years. Bill, right. you know? Talk into that too, because you know, the average consumer when they hear a 10-1 arm or adjustable rate mortgage, their first inclination oftentimes is I'm really not comfortable yes. with that. Um, but just even in the way that that reprices, there are some safety measures that get built in to protect families and really the consumer's financial um, impact to the adjustments on that. But maybe share a little bit with our viewers on sure. on how that works, because I don't think it's a it's a common um, topic at the dinner table. There's not a lot of knowledge about that. Exactly. Uh, a lot of people will just, you know, shut down the conversation it's when we bring 2008 up all over again right, right. right. adjustable just, rate mortgages right they just shut the conversation down um and so so in addition to it being a 10-1 arm so there's there's no adjustment period for the first 10 years you're you're going to be locked in at a rate that's significantly lower than what the the 30-year fixed rate is today um then in year 11 let's say you don't refinance these rates never do come back down we're at we've peaked and we're going to stay up here um there's a two percent cap a year after that. So let's say your first rate adjustment it, it right now would be in the sixes. So you just save 10 years not being in the sixes and that year 11, it could be possibly go up 2% and be in the 6% range. Um, and then it's a 5% overall cap. So again, you're never going to get in those double digits, at least not right now, with this variable rate product that we're offering. So um, built-in protections, and it could actually go down. There's right. there's a, um, a built-in floor as well. Now, sorry to backtrack on you a little no. bit, but you said with your first home, you assumed the seller's we mortgage. Did. Correct. I've never heard of anybody assuming a mortgage. Is this is this a it's, product of years past? It's or? still there. It's very rare. Um, just government loans, FHA and some VA loans, and I believe USDA rural development loans are also assumable. So um, at the time, it was a perfect, this guy knew exactly what he was doing. If I remember right, again, this was before I was in mortgage lending, didn't know what I was doing. I signed on the line like most people do. And, um, but I believe he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that was going to be a way for him to sell his home uh, quicker because the market had slowed down and rates were incredibly high. He refinanced and within a few months of refinancing, then he put the house on the mm -hmm. market and um, with an assumable and he, he marketed it that way. And we thought, wow, 7%, we can assume his mortgage. And so he got all of his equity out at that time. So he didn't, you know, wasn't worried about the equity position. He did that when he, when he refinanced. So, and so, those are still variable or excuse me, those are still assumable to this day. So if someone two years ago, a year ago, got an FHA loan to buy their first home, maybe they put two or 3% down, whatever it is. 
got one of those ultra low 3% mm-hmm. interest rates and we get four or five years down the road and let's say rates stay at six, 7% becomes the new normal, which again, historically speaking, not the end of the world, it'll be okay. They could sell their home and let somebody assume that mortgage? They could, with the approval of the lender, of the originating lender and or the servicing lender. Um, the only thing is they have to get their equity out. So that's kind of the catch. If they keep that house five, six years, they the only thing they can assume is that mortgage. So if they want to sell the house for $50,000 more than what have the to mortgage, come out of cash from the buyer, to, exactly. basically. Cash will have to, the bar, buyer will have to come up with more cash. Inter- so. I, I had no idea that... Home yeah. mortgages were still assumable. You learned something today. I did learn something That's today. Good. That's what I'm here for. Yes. You know, when we talk about FHA, I typically think of your first time home buyer. And for a lot of people, this is the biggest purchase you're ever going to make in your entire life, whether it's your first, second, third home, whatever it is. But it's it's the biggest purchase you make. Mm-hmm. And that can be a little bit intimidating, I think, for a lot of people to start the mortgage process because it's, like Errol said, it, it's, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Home mortgages are not simple. And that's why I'm so thankful we have you here at Equitable to help navigate people through those waters. Talk a little bit about the first time home buyer, some of the things they need to look out for. What are the biggest mistakes that you might see for people that when they go to buy that first home that we don't think about on a regular basis? What sure. what can kind of uh, put a, uh, a block to their path to their home ownership? Sure, absolutely. Well, the first thing that we recommend that they do is get to the bank and get pre-approved. Um, sometimes they can buy more of a house than they thought. Sometimes they're they're dreaming a little bit too much, and we need to bring them back down to earth and, and help them with what their price range is. We'll also look at their credit, their income, and just make sure everything fits. And if for some reason it doesn't, we love to sit down and help them to a path to where they can buy. It might be six months. It might be 12 months. But that's our goal is to let's get them there. And so we'll have that conversation. Let's, let's get a plan together and find a way that you can buy it. A house in the next six to 12 months. Beyond that, then once they're pre-approved and they find that home that they really want to purchase, some of the biggest pitfalls that we find are people change jobs. They just got this great job opportunity and uh, forget to tell the lender. (laughs) They're in the middle of their home loan process. And a lot of people don't understand that we ask for pay stubs at the time we get you approved. And then before closing, within five to 10 days of closing, we have to call your employer. So we're calling your employer to be sure you're still there. So if you've left, even if it's for an increase in pay, that stops, that's a hard stop on your loan process. We may be able to still salvage it, get back, but it's probably not gonna close on time. And um, we're gonna have to do some some work to make it happen. And sometimes it's not gonna close at all. I've had people that decided to go out on their own and uh, become self-employed, self-employed. <laughs> during the middle of, of a home loan. And that just, that's just never going to work. Um, so, so that's number one. Uh, number two is making that big purchase. You've been to the bank, you're approved for your home. Um, now the car that you really want is, is out there and, and you purchase that and you pull up at closing in a shiny new car. Well, that's also a new a red flag for us. Everything has been qualified on your, your income and your assets and liabilities that day that we did your approval. And um, any changes before the closing of the house loan have to be reported to the bank. And so that has killed a few deals too. Um, even going to the furniture store and buying furniture on credit doesn't seem like a big deal, but if that's a $150 payment and you were qualified already, kind of right at the maximum, that can be a problem. So so on the job change, because mm-hmm. you can understand, we can all understand, someone gets a great opportunity, maybe it's a 25, 30% increase in pay, you know, something that's going to be life-changing, very right. material for them and their family. 
is there a is there a look back period? I mean, is there is it a thirty or a sixty day, or is there a hard and fast rule that well, if you have to make this job change, understand that this is going to push your closing out X amount of days, or is it or is it just every situation is going to vary? Every situation is going to be different. Honestly, typically we're going to have to get them on the job for thirty days and get a pay stub. So it might just be thirty days that we're delaying, but in a market like this, mm-hmm. where you know. Homes are selling quickly with multiple offers. You don't want to run that risk. Um, but if it's just a, you know, I have to take this job now, most of the time, you know, we're going to hear about it. The customer's going to let us know, and we're going to counsel them that we're going to need to have you on the job and get a 30-day pay stub. You know, Equitable is unique in that we're still small. We're still a community bank, and we will do everything we possibly can to save that deal. We will um, sometimes do some sort of a bridge loan and um, keep it in-house until we can actually finish it up and, and do it as a long-term mortgage, a secondary market mortgage. So we really don't want to let that loan go, but there right. are sometimes that things happen that, um, you know, just can't be avoided and we might have to delay a closing. And we can talk into that too, because I sure. I think our viewers understand the, the conventional mortgage mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. That's typically a bulk of how home owners finance those purchases. Um, but if you had a job change, we've had scenarios where we've had um, high income earners, but it's all commission and they've changed industries or, mm-hmm. you know, we're in the middle of a new construction project where we've got them pre-qualified for that takeout permanent mortgage, that 30 year fixed rate product. And like you said, a job changes, something happens. They're not unqualified borrowers per se, mm-hmm. but they don't fit the strike zone for that that secondary market mortgage product. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with either a bridge loan, uh, an in-house mortgage, kind of our 5-1 arm adjustable or 10-1 arm uh, mortgage type product. And there is value as equitable as a bank. We're not just a mortgage um, producer. We we have that capacity. So maybe speak into that a little bit and how... um, that works. Sure. Well, we just we just have so many options in our toolkit, right? We can um, we can do a bridge loan just to bridge that gap. Maybe it's 30, 60, 90 days. We can take that on. We can take that risk on. If we believe in this borrower and, and everything else falls into place, we can do something temporary. Maybe it's not going to be that temporary. Maybe um, it's a new doctor coming to town, doesn't have any um, pay history, a lot of student loan debt, but we believe in that doctor and um, what his potential is going to be for income in the future. We can do a 5-1 arm. Again, that's another variable rate product that we have, but it's likely in that five years, we're going to be able to turn that loan around and then put it on the secondary market. And we're probably jumping with the secondary market terminology. Um, Just to back up a little bit on that, what that is is when you hear Freddie Mac Fannie Mae and the Federal Home Loan Bank, for the most part, is the GSEs. They're the they're our partner that that help that helps us provide those long term fixed mm-hmm. rates, and they kind of have a bad rap. I still don't understand that. I've been a partner with Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Bank, for twenty plus years, and they've been nothing but a good partner throughout throughout the two thousand eight housing crisis and throughout all of the refinancing that we've done. So sometimes people will even, their ears will, will perk up when we say, your loan will be sold to Freddie Mac. And they're like, well, no, no, I don't want that. 
and really that's the extent of Freddie Mac. They, they help us with that long-term fixed rate, but then we service the loan, which right. again is unique to Equitable. So you make your payments with us, you call us up. I was just talking with a kid this morning. He, he had a large hail check. How do I handle this? He doesn't have to call an 800 number somewhere in New York. or um, he, he calls me, who originated his loan last year. So um, that's another nice thing. And, and that secondary market is what allows us to be able to do that and lend that out at those low rates that we've been lending. Point. So, yeah. Right, because as a commercial bank, we, you know, we've talked about how you know, commercial loans, they're a five-year fixed rate, and we have the ARM loans, adjustable mm-hmm. rate loans that are a five- or ten-year fixed rate. So a lot of people have some misconception, I believe, around loan terms, but it's a 30-year fixed-rate product that amortizes over 30 years is very exclusive to home mortgages. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you're not going to find a lot of 30-year right. fixed-rate products in banking in general unless you're talking about a primary residence. Now, there's there's always uh, caveats to that. There are some circumstances where a second or a third vacation home or whatever might qualify for those, but every borrower is going to be different. But by and large, when we're talking about a 30-year fixed-rate, it's almost always a home loan. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about getting ready for that first meeting with the bank. You, you found your dream home. What are the things that the bank needs to see? You talked a little bit about credit reporting and pay stubs. Let's talk a little bit about down payment structure. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about mortgage points. That's something we haven't talked about in a really right. long time. Right. Um, kind of been out of favor for a while with super low interest rates, but now as rates continue to climb, that some, might be something that comes back into trend again. Um, talk a little bit about that. Sure. So to get someone prepared to come in and get pre-approved, typically we give them a very short list really these days, and um, that's going to be W-2s from last year, a recent pay stub, and bank statement. So we can talk about down payment. The typical 30-year, 15-year mortgage is going to require a 5% minimum down payment. Unless we determine that this is a first-time home buyer and we're going to go the first-time home buyer route, at that point we can get them qualified with as little as 3% down. And um, so we're going to have them come in and meet with us in person. We also have a great online app now, and they can uh, they can put their information online. It comes directly into a loan officer, and then we'll just follow up with scanned items. And then the self-employed borrower is typically going to need to require to, to bring in two years of their most recent federal tax returns so that we can analyze those and see see how that looks. Um, and then we're going to talk about any job changes that have been recent. We may need to, again, see 30, 60, 90 days on the job. Um, that's kind of a misconception, too. I feel a lot of people think, oh, you know, I just changed jobs. I can't get a home loan no, now. And that's not correct at all. Um, if you ha- are, have, are just changing jobs and you're in the same field, or if you've bettered yourself and you're going to be earning more income, maybe you change jobs for that reason, we can still get you approved right away. As long as you have that 30-day pay stub. We do need to see a pay stub. But So what about someone, maybe they just graduated from school, but they're not a doc. Maybe um, he or she is a, an attorney, or maybe they just got you know a regular J-O-B, 9 to 5. How long mm-hmm. do they have? To, is it just 30 days? Do they need to have a little bit more Honestly, history? Yeah, get, get us that pay stub, and we'll ask for some tax transcripts. Uh, we usually like to see that, in fact, that's why they hadn't been working um, because they just got out of job, out of school. But that does, doesn't in any way prevent people from getting a new home loan, as long as everything else lines up, the income, the debt that they come out of school with, that kind of thing. So. And I know we talked 
high level on down payment. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a difference when we're talking the three, the 5% down or 20% down and how that impacts how we approach their financing and then the impact to those programs. Maybe speak a little bit about that too. Of course, the more down payment you have, it's probably going to give you more flexibility in what kind of loan you can get. Um, Those minimum down payment loans, 3%, 5%, the guidelines are going to be a little tougher. The requirements are going to be a little tougher as far as credit scores and um, debt-to-income ratios. Um, and so the, the more you put down, obviously, it's going to get you into maybe a little bit better program. Um, the, the programs are available for everyone, but it might be just a little bit easier if you do have a little bit more down payment. Um, and we have resources to help with that. We, ha- we are a great partner with the Federal Home Loan Bank out of Topeka, and we offer every year a grant program. And this past year, we just closed that out. It was $7,500 per family for first-time homebuyers, and it helped them with down payment, closing cost. It can even help with repairs. If there was a home that just wasn't going to qualify for a secondary market loan, they needed heating and air updated. Electrical's a big one. Maybe they had the old... The old fuse boxes. Sure, um, knob and tube. That. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and so uh, we can we can have that redone. And then, you know, they can use their own funds for the down payment. So that's another option. We also have combo loans. We haven't done a lot of those recently, but we do have combo loans where we might put you in an 80% first mortgage and a 10% second mortgage. And um, in some cases, that makes sense for, for individuals instead of having high PMI premiums. Now on the down which, payment, can that be can that be a gift from grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, or whomever? Is there a limit to how much gift absolutely. can be given to you? There used to be back in the day, um, but there's not any longer. So you can mm. have a 20% gift. Used to be a borrower would have to have 5% of their own funds. And that was limiting, especially with these housing prices like they are. But that's gone away for some time now. And so it does have to be a family member or um, a significant other. It could be, you know, a partner, but you can get up to as much as you'd like, 20%, 5%, 10% from a gift. Um, and there there are some limitations. You can't generally get a, a gift from an employer. There's there's ways, you know, that, that mm. we have to, to be careful there. But family member, absolutely, you can get as much as they are willing we, to give. And we used a term PMI. Yes, I did. Uh, private mortgage money. insurance um, and, you know, that added premium uh, can really change the affordability of, of financing. So maybe speak into what that exactly is, because sure. we take for granted our knowledge, but our viewers Absolutely. may not know what that means. Private mortgage insurance is a necessary item when you put down less than 20% on a home mortgage. Or if you, if you do one of those combo loans that I was speaking to when I brought up the PMI. So private mortgage insurance can run anywhere from $30 a month to I've seen it as high as $200 oh, wow. a month. So when you're talking an increase in, in interest rate and then if you have PMI on there as well, it can affect the affordability. And um, it protects the bank against default. So that's the reason it is put on those loans that are higher loan to value. Um, I get questions, no, does that pr- protect me? And I, I'll c- occasionally get a phone call. I have that, I remember I have that insurance on my loan. That insurance is, is really against default. It's not for disability, life insurance, that kind of thing. Right. It's if you default, it's going to pay the difference when the home is sold on a foreclosure. So. And there's been some changes with regards to that. Now it's, if you have a mortgage with less than 20% down, 
PMI is on that mortgage, how long does it stay out there? How long do you have to continue to pay that premium? At the time you get down to an 80% mortgage is when you can contact the bank and ask that that be removed. And at 78%, all banks are required to automatically take it off. So there's a 2% difference that usually is a year to to 18 months if you would forget or not make that request. Um, In this rising uh, value market that we're in right now, you can also request and pay for an appraisal. And if that appraisal comes in higher, you may be able to have the PMI taken off sooner. That was going to be my next question because, yeah. I mean, you maybe only put 10% down, but your home value went up 20% right. last year. You do still have to carry it between two and five years. There's different rules depending on um, if you re- requested it and if it is coming off due to an appraisal. Um, because, you know, the market recognizes this could be cyclical as well with right. these increases in prices. So we drop someone's PMI and, and if prices tank and two or three years, we would probably be wishing we still had PMI on the loan. So we have to look at those individually, um, and but we, we certainly allow people to get an appraisal and, and request that that PMI be taken off. Good so. points. Well, we've talked about the down payment process. We've talked about secondary market versus mm-hmm. in-house loans. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the nuts and bolts, the approval process, you know, debt to income ratio, because mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's you know, well, I, I, you know, I've got my 20% saved up and I've got this house of my dreams. And even with 20% down, sometimes the ratios just don't work. You know, maybe they're just really diligent savers and they don't necessarily have the income to support that mortgage payment. Talk about what are the maximum uh, debt to income ratio with the house and then with other debts. Mm -hmm. So a rule of thumb, your housing payment shouldn't exceed 30% of your gross monthly income. And that's household income. One thing uh, a lot of people don't understand is we can only use the income of the borrowers that are on the loan. A lot of times for one reason or the other, a spouse or a significant other may not want to be on the loan, but they're going to live in the house. We can't use their income if they're not going to be on the loan. So Mm -hmm. it's 30% of that household income for the people that are on the loan. And that's rule of thumb for your housing. And then your total debt with your car payments and uh, credit cards, student loans, 45% is the rule of thumb on that. Um, and another thing that's kind of a misconception, there's a lot, we all have a lot of other debt that is not included in that debt that we include. So childcare is not included any longer. It used to be when I first started this, childcare was, a, really? it was included, okay. yeah. Um, it, cell phones, utilities, all of those other things that we all pay every month are not included. And so sometimes if we're pushing someone up at that 45%, that's just not a a comfortable place for them to be because of maybe they have three kids in in daycare. So we have that conversation. Is this a comfortable payment for you? You can go to here, but is that where you want to be monthly to be making that mortgage payment? And a lot of times, funny enough, a lot of times are people are more conservative than what those debt ratios would even allow. They'll say, oh, no, no, you know, we don't want an $1,800 house payment. We're comfortable at $1,200. And that's people, they have a feeling for what their monthly budget can support. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. the debt, maybe the debt ratio say you can afford that eighteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But if you know you know your checkbook and you know what your budget is, and if if that doesn't work, I mean, and that really comes back to that relationship with your mortgage banker. Be able to go in and have those conversations and say, you know, here's what we could be approved for, but what are you really comfortable right. with? What right. what fits your lifestyle? Because everybody's got a different lifestyle too. Exactly. So you know, talking about people that are savers, maybe they can handle that higher DTI because they don't have a 
you know, an expensive lifestyle or maybe they don't have kids in daycare or whatever it is where some people are maybe better suited at a 25 or a 30% DTI just because they have a lot of variable expenses that aren't really calculated exactly. in those ratios. Right. Something else I think that, especially first-time home buyers that have never owned a home, uh, property taxes uh, play a, a major part in the affordability um, of that monthly payment. And many of us homeowners recently just got our, our uh tax statement from the assessor's office on what the new valuation is of your home and what your new taxes are going to be. And that, that's a, that's a component too. We service those mortgages. We analyze escrows, expenses for insurance costs and Mm -hmm. property taxes. And, um, typically you're assessed within 94% of the, the value, the market value of your home. And so if you're paying a significant amount um, for a home that has been assessed historically lower than that, um, you need to account for that added uh, property taxes. Absolutely. And we have that conversation as well, especially right now with the increase in prices that we've seen, like Phil said, 20% over the past year. Yeah, yeah a year. And so... Most of those tax assessed values have not caught up with that yet. And guess when they're going to catch up? That first year when we do an escrow analysis, those those taxes are likely to go up. And, and we get a lot of phone calls in April about that historically. And, and I do worry that, you know, going forward, there's going to be a lot more of that because these prices have increased just right. way faster than, than what the assessors have assessed those And that comes at. back to that, th- that maximum threshold of 45%. You know, because if then insurance costs go up, property taxes go up, life demands, expenses go up. Now you're, I call it house broke. You're, you can only <laughs> afford your home and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one last topic before we let you go. I know you've got a lot to do today, but we're in this rising rate environment and it's something that people haven't really talked about recently, but you can, in theory, buy down that rate yeah, to improve the affordability on a monthly basis. Maybe you do have some money saved up and you're watching those debt-to-income ratios and that monthly payment, and you're trying to get that payment down, talk a little bit about mortgage points, how they buy down the rate, and, sure. and how that can be part of the toolkit you offer to your customers. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, we haven't talked a lot about discount points for quite some time because the rates have been historically low. But now, as, as we're in this rising rate environment, we're starting to talk to every borrower about the option that you could pay one point, and one point equals 1% of your of your loan balance. So if you are doing a $300,000 loan, one point would be $3,000. Typically we'll buy down your rate anywhere from an eighth to a quarter percent. And we'll sit down with them and show them, here's your payment with the point, here's your payment without paying the point, and this is how long it's gonna take you to recover paying that $3,000 upfront. And um, we're seeing more people take the points just to stay below six or stay you know, in, in a range that they're, that they're comfortable with. Um, one thing that we used to see a lot of, and I think we'll see again going forward as this market cools, which has been the goal, apparently, we're raising Seems rates that way. to cool yes. the market. Calm down inflation. As we do see the, the market cool, um, the sellers will occasionally have pay concessions. And you can go in and ask that seller to pay one point or two points or just a flat amount. Maybe you ask the seller to pay $5,000 in closing costs. wasn't very long ago at all that sellers were doing those type of things to get their home sold. And you can factor that in. You know, maybe they'll pay $5,000 in, in closing costs and you can buy that down. You can buy down your rate with discount points. There's a, a cap, 6%, that the seller can pay. 
it's three percent or six percent depending on the loan program so and that usually doesn't it's usually not a factor but um yeah we are definitely talking about discount points in our conversations so very good well times are certainly changing for the home buyer and for the mortgage banker and sherry we can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your wealth of knowledge for our listeners Uh, if you have questions stop into your local branch Uh, find your mortgage banker, ask questions, be prepared when you're out there trying to find maybe a first home, a new home, whatever it might be. You really can't put a number value on having a solid relationship with someone that has your back and can navigate these processes with you. And with that, we thank you for joining us on More Bank for Your Buck. Thank you, Sherry. Until next time. I want to thank our audience for joining us today on More Bank for Your Buck and looking forward to our next podcast together, Phil. Sounds great. Thanks, Errol. My pleasure. Thank you.